Hello there, true believers. This is Head Speaks, a proud member of the Headcast Network family of shows. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Moss, a.k.a. Head. This is my mostly monthly Headcast, where I talk about comics, movies, role-playing games, TV shows, and anything else geeky that I want. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Let's begin. Welcome to Head Speaks, Episode 60. Uh, first up on the platter we have for you... This month, on At the Movies with Head, I'm going to talk a little bit about the the uh, HBO Max. Well, it started out as a DC streaming show, but now it's on HBO Max. Uh, Doom Patrol. Again, this is based on the DC comic, Doom Patrol. And a lot of it's based on Grant Morrison's run when he took over after uh, friend of the show, Paul Kupperberg. Uh, again, I prefer... As far as the comics, I liked what Grant did. I preferred Paul Kupperberg's uh, more superhero storytelling. But Grant Morrison, he had some fun with the title. And it became really wacky. And then you had people take over after Grant Morrison trying to do Grant Morrison, but not as well, in my opinion. But we're not here to talk about the comic book. We're here to talk about the HBO Max show. And again, I'm not going to put a lot of time into this. Uh, if you want in-depth coverage of the Doom Patrol TV show, definitely check out a podcast from some friends of mine from the land down under, Paul Hicks and Mike Garvey's Waiting for Doom. Uh, two couple great guys doing a great show on the Doom Patrol. But let's go ahead and start my coverage of the Doom Patrol. So... Uh, Doom Patrol, it's an American superhero television series developed by Jeremy Carver. It features uh, the character Crazy Jane, played by Diane Guerrero, Rita Farr by April Balby, Vic Stone by Jovian Wade, Larry Trainer is Matt Boomer and Matthew Zook, Cliff Steele is Brandon Frazier and Riley Shanana, and The Chief, played by Timothy Dalton. And there are members of the Doom Patrol. Although Balby, Bonner, I mean, sorry, Bo Boomer, and Frazier reprise their roles from the series Titans, apparently the two shows are set in separate continuities. It premiered on February the 15th of 2019 on the DC Universe streaming service. The second season aired both on the DC streaming service and HBO Max. And then... Uh, let me see. They released them on June the 25th of 2020 and September 20th. Sorry, try that again. September of 2020, the series renewed for a third season exclusively for HBO Max. Because I think they did it with the DC Universe, at least the, the movies and all that from there. Now that they have HBO Max. So Doom Patrol. It started out, like I say, in the comics as a, a, a kind of a normal 
superhero affair. Uh, it had the chief leading the Doom Patrol, which consisted of, if I'm doing this from memory, there was a robot man, Elastigirl, which is Rita Farr, and I'm missing somebody. The chief, oh, Negative Man, who was Larry Trainer. Uh, things happened. Most of the team died in quotes. Eventually came back. This series, uh, like I said, it's it's mainly a lot of the uh, the premise and a lot of the the stories come from Grant Morrison's uh, Doom Patrol, who took over after Paul Kupperberg back in the late '80s. Grant was a British writer, and he, he tended to have a lot more. I guess wacky and more far out there and more subreal and subtext and it, it was a lot different. <laughs> like I say it went more for the zany, more for the odd, and that's where characters like uh, Crazy Jane, I, I believe she came from, or if not, didn't come from. She was really pet into Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. Uh, also, from Morrison's Doom Patrol, there was Mr. Nobody, who in the show was played by Alan Tadick. I'm probably mispronouncing his last name. Uh, also, and I, I believe this came from Grant Morrison's run, was Flex Metallo, who in the show was played by Devin Chandler Long. And Dorothy Spinner, I believe she showed up at the end of Paul Kupperberg's run. And... Grant ran with her. And again, in the show, she's played by Agabel, Agabel? Abigail Shapiro. And basically, it's this team of misfits that are working together to save the world. In the original comics, it was they all had freak accidents that either disfigured them or changed them forever. And the chief gathered them up and... Use them to help defeat bad guys, basically. Eventually, in the comics, I think it was under Grant Morrison or maybe one of the later writers, revealed that the Chief... And again, this is going to be spoilers for the first two seasons of Doom Patrol, which have been aired and they've been out. So if you haven't watched Doom Patrol, you may want to skip this segment. Maybe you planning on it. But come find out the Chief, Niles Calder, was actually behind all the accidents that caused the Doom Patrol to become who they are. And the show's taken that concept and ran with it. We find out that the Chief was responsible for all the accidents that happened that caused the Doom Patrol to become who they are. And there was an earlier Doom Patrol in the show, and one of the members was Josh Clay, or Joshua Clay, who was actually a, mem a later member of the Doom Patrol in the comics. In the comics, he went by the superhero name of Tempest. He had, like, a, a blasting power. He could fly. Again, he they they don't really talk much about his superhero powers in the show. So that's all we're going to talk about him. We're going to move on to the other characters. But the other characters from the show, like I say, we have, as I talked about earlier, we have Crazy Jane, who is a character that... She's got multiple personalities that can actually take over her her body. And they have different powers or different abilities. Again, she first showed up yeah, in Doom Patrol 19, 
by, written by Grant Morrison. Uh, I, I like Crazy Jane. She's an interesting character. She's got a bunch of different personalities in her head. And they they come forth and they have different different abilities or different things they can do. Like I said in the show, Diane Guerrero, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly, plays the, the main Jane character, Crazy Jane. And then inside her head, when she's dealing with other her other personalities, she plays a couple of the other personalities, and there's other actresses playing some of the other personalities. Uh, and again, the show uses a lot of the personalities from the comic, and they're doing a a pretty good job at. I think I think Diane does a good job of doing the different characters. I mean, as Crazy Jane, the outward person, uh, she does Baby Doll. She does one. Uh, let me see who else she does. Crazy Jane, of course. Hammerhead, Flitz, Harlot, what is her name? The Red Harlot, or Scarlet Harlot. Yeah, Scarlet Harlot. Uh, again, she does all these different characters, and I think she does a good job portraying totally different personalities. And like I said, she uh, the, the story, the Doom Patrol TV series, does a good use of them, and... They're pretty accurate to the comic. And again, that's case first time listening to this. That's what I look for is comic accuracy because I really enjoy the comics. And so I enjoy when things are like what I'm reading in the comic. So moving on from her, if I get my notes right, <laughs> there's uh, Vic Stone played by Jovian Wade. Vic Stone really isn't much in the Doom Patrol comics. He's from the Teen Titans, and he in the New 52, he was a founding member of the Justice League, which is a different story entirely. I like the way that Vic Stone looks, the, the robotics part of him looks in the show, more than they did in the Justice League movie, because I like this is reminiscent, very reminiscent of the early look of Vic Stone in the comics. Uh, Jovian Wade does a, a decent job as Cyborg. I think I like... Uh, my mind turned off. The guy from the movie who did Cyborg. I like that actor better, I think. But I like the, the way the Cybernetics looks better in the TV show. But yeah, Vic Stone. I, I like Cyborg. Again, he's been a member of the Teen Titans forever. I, I don't like in the New 52 that they automatically just made him a member of the a founding member of the Justice League. I like the fact that he was a Teen Titan and maybe worked his way up to become a, a member of the Justice League eventually. But again, they didn't ask my opinion, so eh, what are you going to do? Uh, also, there's Rita Farr, who in the comics was a founding member of the Doom Patrol. And in the comics, she could grow, she could stretch her body. And she was an actress. In the TV show, again, she was an actress. And April Balby, is that I'm pronouncing her name? She does a good job of playing Rita. In the show, Rita, if she doesn't concentrate, she loses control of her form. It comes like a giant blob. I don't think that's the way it was ever was in the comic. Again, I didn't read a lot of the early appearances from her. 
back in the Doom Patrol back in the you know sixties. But I don't think she had the problem of being basically a, a ectoplasmic protoplasm or whatever. If she's not concentrating here, she's not going to puddle a goo. So again, that's an interesting way to change it. I, I don't know if I like that or not. But the actress that plays her, I think she does a great job at it. She very much, to me, comes across as Rita Farr. Also in the show, going back to my notes, we have Larry Trainer, played by the the physical form is played by Matthew Zuck, and the voice is Matt Boomer, and also before the accident is played by Matt Boomer. I know I'm a, I know Matt Boomer from White Collar, where he played a criminal working with the FBI. I think he does a great job as as Larry Trainer. In the TV show, they made him, he was married with kids, married with children. Sorry, wrong show. And, but he actually had a gay lover that was keep, he was keeping secrets. As far as I'm aware in the comic, he was never gay. But again, I, I may have missed some stuff. Or I know later on, Negative Man became some form of man, woman, energy being. Again, under Grant, Grant's uh, writing, but I, I think they're doing a very good. They're doing a very good job. They're doing a very good job with Negative Man. Again, Negative Man was in a uh, an airplane or a spaceship accident, and he absorbed some sort of cosmic radiation, and now he lets off a radiation, so he has to be kept up, wrapped up in these special bandages that keeps the radiation under control. And he can release a negative energy spirit. Later on the comics, that spirit goes into, or I think it's, I'm not sure if it's the same spirit or a different one, goes into Val Vostok, who becomes Negative Woman. And I actually talk about Val over on my Task Force X podcast, because after she's no longer Negative Woman, she shows up in Checkmate quite a bit. But yeah, I, I like the way, in the comics, Negative Man when he's in the hero form as the negative energy being, he's uh, like pure black with energy crackling around him. In the show, he's more like a white bluish. And uh, while I prefer the black look to him, I think it looks really cool. I, I understand why they would maybe change that from a black energy being to something a little more color in it. Because it's live action, so you want something a little more dynamic. Uh, I like Matt Boomer as an actor. Uh, I'm not familiar with the guy that plays Larry Trainer wrapped in bandages. But yeah, I think he, he does a good job with what he has. Uh, again, there's the guy's always wrapped up with bandages, so you never can see his face. So it, it's mainly body language. Which I think, again, the guy does... Uh, his name's Zuck. Does a pretty good job at the body language... When you can't see, you know, it's hard when you can't see someone's face and it's not actually Zuck's voice we hear. We hear Matt Boomer's voice. So I think, like I, said, I like Negative Man. He's one of my favorite characters in the Doom Patrol. Like I say, his real name is Larry Trainer. And I'm just looking at the Wikipedia entry on him. Let me see. Yeah, so was he was a founding member with Elastigirl, Robot Man, and the Chief. Uh, he accidentally exposed a radioactive field in the atmosphere while piloting a test plane. It leaves him radioactive, but gives him a strange power to release a negatively charged energy being, which is referred to as Negative Man 
or the negative spirit. And that's how they refer to them in the show as negative spirit. Uh, but again, yeah, I really like Negative Man, and I'm just reading here more. Yeah, it's Larry Trainer and Valentina Vostok. And actually, I guess uh, Valentina, I thought she was a newer character. I say newer. When I started in the 80s, I thought she was a newer character. But apparently, uh, Valentina came out in 1977. So, at some point... I guess, so after Larry Trainer died, in quotes, in the Doom Patrol, the negative spirits went into Valentina and made her negative woman. She's actually shown up in the TV show for one episode as a cosmonaut. And she does talk about how she too has a negative spirit. So unlike the show where it looks like it was negative spirit went from one to the other, it looks like there may be at least two different energy beings in each of them. And like I said, in the comics, eventually uh, the negative spirit reveals itself to be a, uh, a creature incapable of speech. And it, it forces itself to merge with Larry Trainer and his physician, Dr. Eleanor Poole. And the three entities become a form called Rebus. And it's a divine intersex person who, again, must wear special bandages. And, and seeing how the show is going very modern, very, very, being very inclusive, I'm wondering how long before they introduce Rebus, the, the male-female form of negative man slash woman. <laughs> so I'm just wondering about that, because... That seems very much what the show would do at some point. And then there's Robot Man, who in, the, again, the comics was a founding member. In the show, he's a member of the Doom Patrol. Uh, and again, Robot Man is very comic accurate for the most part. I, I don't know much about his, his pre-accident life. So as far as that, I'm not sure how accurate that is. But basically, both the show and the comic... He was a race car driver that had an accident and his brain was implanted into a robotic body. Uh, like I say, both are doing it the same way. His In the show, his voice and his pre-accident body is played by Brandon Frazier. Brand, I'm sorry, my wife corrected me. Brandon Frazier. And uh, dude's getting old. I know we are all, all are, and I mean, but yeah, he, he's got gained a little weight. Again, I'm a fat butt, so I can't say anything. But it just, yeah, not really having seen him for years and seeing him in the Doom Patrol, you can tell he's changed a bit. So, but no, I think uh, Brendan does a great job as the voice. And again, when we see flashbacks of him before he became Robot Man. I think he's doing a, he does a great job. Like I say, he, him and his wife was having problems uh, to an extent. He was cheating on her with, I think, a couple different women. And again, come to find out, much like in the comic, it was the chief's fault that it was because of the accident. Uh, again, it's been years since I read the comic, but in the TV show, the accident was supposed to happen on the speedway, but in the t but it actually happened 
while him and his wife was driving somewhere. So his wife died and his brain was taken out of the body and placed into a robotic body. Um, yeah, like I say, I like Robot Man. He's a very cool character. He's been the Doom Patrol. He showed up other places. And yeah, basically he's, he's a brain inside a robotic body that looks very much like a, a 1950s Robot Man, if you will. And it's basically Cliff still is trying to... I don't necessarily want to regain his humanity, but he's... Again, it's a human brain... But he doesn't have any of the human sensation. He can't touch anything. Well, he can't feel anything when he touches it, I mean. It has no taste, has no smell or anything. So, I, I think, like I say, the, the actor that plays Robot Man, his name is Riley Shanahan. Again, another character that we don't see the actor's facial features. We don't hear the actual actor's voice. So the actor's only working basically with body movement. And he's not even, a, in quotes, a human. He, he's a robot with a human mind. So his movement patterns are a little limited because of that. But I think that Riley is doing a great job with, again, with what he has to do, with what he, can, with what he has to play with, basically. And the final member on the show is the chief, Niles Calder. Again, he's the man that came up with the Doom Patrol. He created him in the comics. Eventually, like I said, it was revealed that he was actually behind the creation of all these people in their accidents. In the show, he's played by Timothy Dalton. And, uh, again, I like the Chief. Timothy Dalton's doing a good job at him. He, uh, in the Titans when he showed up, he was played by Bruno Jaw or something like that. But, yeah, then when they put out their own show, they changed it to Timothy Dalton, who is a longtime actor. He's, you know, been in a little bit of everything. I mean, almost everyone knows Timothy Dalton, I think. And my wife said, who is he? He's an actor. Uh, he, he played a, a little guy named James Bond for a while. After that. <laughs> That's Sean Connery. <laughs> but again, yeah, she's just sitting there just busting my chops because she can. But, yeah, I, I think... Again, in the comics, the Chief's normally a redhead. In here, it's Timothy, but he's more uh, dark-haired, uh, black, or in gr going gray. But I, I think that, like I said, uh, Timothy Dalton's doing a good job as the chief. He's got that mysterious edge. He's a paraplegic with a genius level in in intellect. Uh, he does different inventions. Uh, he founded the team called Doom Patrol to protect the innocent and fight crime. In the show, it's discovered that he uh, actually cause these accidents and form the Doom Patrol to try to lengthen his own life. Because in the show, he has a daughter, which we'll get to in just a minute here. 
looking at, again, quickly looking through here, he, Niles Calder, he was started the, uh, I was going to say X-Men. I say that because the X-Men and Doom Patrol came out around the same time, and they're both very much the same type of team. They both have leaders in wheelchairs. They're both made up of misfits or outcasts that don't fit of normal society. Uh, again, it's it's rumored, you know, who came first or which idea came first. But while they're very similar ideas, they're they're very different, in my opinion. But in the show, as I said, Niles Calder, the chief, has a daughter uh, named Dorothy Spinner. In the show, the chief was stranded somewhere and there was a, a primitive woman who he, he was staying with that helped him survive. And they, they shacked up, I guess. They, as they would say on the uh, dating game, made whoopee. And Dorothy was the product of that. In the comic book, Dorothy Spinner has no relation to the chief. She's a member of the team. In both the show and the book, she has a ape-like appearance. In the show, it's a little, I'm sorry, in the book, it's a little harder to tell it's an ape. Sometimes it depends on who's drawing it. Sometimes she looks ape-like. Sometimes she just looks ugly or disfigured. But her, like I said, her name is Dorothy Spinner. Again, a lot of times in the comics, she wears like a blue, what is it, a gingham dress and looks like Dorothy Gale from The Wizard of Oz. I say her name's Dorothy and her last name's Spinner, which is like an end joke to a tornado or a spinner, a spinning wind. So it's very much a, a homage, I guess, to The Wizard of Oz. Uh, Dorothy, both show and the comic. Uh, and yeah, I was just double checking. She was actually came in Doom Patrol issue 14, written by Paul Kupperberg. But uh, as I was saying, her powers is she has imaginary friends that she can call on to. She calls them to being, if you will. And again, a lot of the beings that they've got in the comic showed up in the show. There was uh, I'm just looking here real quick. Spinner, which was like a giant spider. There is the candle maker, which isn't really one of her imaginary friends, but he's some sort of creature that can come through her. And the comic, she has a lot more. Well, in the comic, they got a lot more characters listed than what's actually has shown up in the show so far. But there, there is rumors that, or not rumors, but there's hints that maybe there are more personalities or more imaginary friends in her head or wherever they're stored. But uh, much like in the show, in the comic, one of her, her again, personalities, or not personalities, that's... Uh, Crazy Jane. One of her imaginary friends is the candle maker who is trying to destroy the world. In fact, that's how the second season ends with candle maker taking out the doom patrol and trying to destroy the world. Also from the comic 
and also showed up in the series, was Flex Mentallo. He is a strong man that, when he flexes his muscles, can alter reality. Is basically the easiest way to say it. He can make different things happen when he flexes muscles. In fact, in the comic I was reading here, the comments are notes on. One time he was able to flex a muscle and turn the Pentagon into a, a circular building for a brief period of time. And the and reading, again, I haven't read Flex Mentallo in decades, since the mid-90s when he was in the comic, uh, but I guess early 90s. But yeah, Flex Mentallo is very much like he is in the comic as he is on the show. Uh, one thing that they don't do on the show, which I, I kind of think they wish they would because it'd be funny, is when he uses his powers and he starts flexing, in the comic above his head it says, Hero of the Beach. They haven't done that in the show yet. I think it'd be funny if that did. But I mean, otherwise, yeah, he's, he's pretty much like he is in the comic. He's very comical. One thing in the comic, it's a little bit different where it seems to be at this point. As far as his origin, when he before he became the hero of the beach, uh, he was just an ordinary Joe. They got bullied while on the beach. And he was approached by a man who gave him a coupon to fill out for a bodybuilding book. And when he followed the instructions, he became the muscled strongman. And the TV show, they didn't touch on that. He was just always a hero from what they showed. But they had his girlfriend in the show that's from the comic. Uh, again, I wasn't a huge fan of Flex when he was in the comic in the New Patrol. That's when I started getting out of the Doom Patrol. But I'm liking Flex in the show. I Again, the, how he shows back up is similar. In the Doom Patrol, he's in a, a cell as a mystery bearded man. And in the comic, when he first appeared, he showed up. He was bearded. In the show, I'm sorry, in the comic, he was on Danny the Street, which I'll get to in a minute. Or in the show, he was with the uh, men from nowhere or something like that. No, he was with the, uh, in the show, they call them the Bureau of Normalcy. Again, sounds very much like a uh, Grant Morrison thing. And as I talked about earlier, I, I mentioned there was Danny of the Streets. Danny of the Streets, again, from the comic and both the show, very similar characters. Real quick, Danny of the Street, and I've got to pull this up and read this to make sure I say it the right way. Uh, Danny of the Street is a living, living sentient piece of urban geography that can magically place itself anywhere it wants without disruption to its surroundings. And I'm just trying to look here exactly how he was phrased. Uh, Danny of the Street is like a cross dress in the comic book. Uh, he's a flamboyant personality. He's a cross dresser. But he's just a street, but he's, he's a cross-dresser. And on Danny the Street, it, it's very flamboyant, very... You can be who you are on Danny the Street and everyone accepts you. In the show, they change that slightly. So instead of being a transsexual street, 
He's now actually a, uh, how do they refer to him as? A sentient queer, a gender queer teleporting street. Because this is 2021 and, well, he's got to be gender queer now. But, I, again, I not as bothered by that as I would be most changes like that. Because it's still in kind of the same wheelhouse. And it's very... It's very, that, that makes it much more 2021, I think. But, yes, I would probably like it better if he was just a cross-dressing street. Which sounds odd enough. But, just because that's the way he was in the comic. But, I... I what's that? Yeah, but why is asking me a street? Yes, a street that you ride, that you drive your car down. He's a street with shops and... Yes. And he, can, he teleports and he can appear different places. And in the show, uh, well, if you're in the, if you're on down in the street when he teleports, you can teleport with him. Well, you don't go down 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 in the street then. The wife asks, "What happens if you're trying to get to work and you're driving down down in the street and he decides to teleport?" No, oh, you don't go down down in the street unless you want to. But Danny the Street, yes. Uh, I, I liked Danny the Street when he showed up in the comic book. And yeah, when I show, saw him, when I saw him show up in the show, I started laughing because I thought that was a nice touch. Again, that was a Grant Morrison thing. And again, this show is just, just loving the Grant Morrison era. So Danny the Street was very welcomed. Uh, again, there's a cabaret there. There's a bunch of different stores there. And in the comic, or I'm sorry, in the show, just like in the comic, eventually something happens to Danny. And at this point in the show, he's Danny the Brick. In the comic, that happened. Oh, I forget. I wasn't reading at that time, but I, I noticed that he did become a brick in the, the comic also. But that does sound familiar. Huh. I'm not sure offhand. Again, I haven't read the Doom Patrol comic in decades. Again, so that that's the main characters in it. Also, the first season there was uh, Ali mentioned Alan Tadek as Mister Nobody, who was a villain in the Grant Morrison era of Doom Patrol. A very weird, uh, folded in like dimensionally person that can alter reality. Again, Alan Tadek, Tadek, however you pronounce his last name, he does a great job. I think he's, I think he's a great actor. Whenever he shows up, and whenever he shows up, brings a smile on my face. He looks a little different in the show than he does in the comic, of course. In the comic, he's like just he's all black, a little more abstract. In the show, he's actually Alan Tadak, Tadak, whatever. But CGI water makes he's like partly not there, partly there. But I, I think it's a nice interpretation. Again, normally I complain when they change a character like that, but again, Alan's doing does such a great job with that character. I can't really complain about it. Well, I could, but I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, in the comics, he was the founder of a group called the Brotherhood of Dada. In the show, they haven't mentioned the Brotherhood yet, so and he was only in the first season. He was mentioned in the second season. We haven't seen him yet. I'm um, just looking real quick. Yeah, he showed up in 
Doom Patrol 86. Okay, actually... I thought he was a Grant Morrison character, but actually looking at the Wikipedia entry, he actually showed up uh, as his real name, Eric Morden, in uh, 1964. And he appeared as Mr. Nobody in 1989. Okay, so he appeared as Eric Morden in the earlier Doom Patrol series. And then, okay, and then Grant Morrison made him Mr. Nobody. So... So, okay, so that, that makes sense. Because, again, it's, it's very odd, just like Grant Morrison's writing. <laughs> but, yeah, no, so I'm enjoying Doom Patrol so far. I started watching it. I would download the episodes, the first few episodes when it was on the DC streaming service. And then I got sidetracked. And I planned on... Uh... uh subscribing to the DC Universe service. But before I got that far, they merged with HBO Max, and so all the shows from there moved over to HBO Max. So I'm getting HBO Max anyways, so I decided not to subscribe to the service, the DC streaming service, because, well, it's not really there anymore. Now it's mainly, my understanding, basically just comic books. So, which I have a lot of anyway. So, <laughs> But... Yeah, I really enjoy the Doom Patrol show. I I think it's I there's some things I wish it would rather stick more closer to the comic on. But again, that's just me being a purist cuz that's who I am. But yeah, I've watched the first two seasons and I loved it. I can't wait for the third season. In fact, on the HBO Max show so far, I I think it's the best out of them. There's only a few as far as live action. There's the Titans, which I've complained about previously. But I'm giving another watch to see if... Because I've heard a lot of people say it's really good once you get to a certain point. So I'm trying to give it another chance. Because I'm a big fan of the Wolfman Press Titans. And a lot of these characters. And that's my problem with the show, is that I'm such a big fan of the Wolfman Press Titans. And a lot of these characters I love, like Hawk and Dove, are totally different than what... Well, have been a president in the comic, or even before them, so... I don't know, I'm going to try to give another try, but there's Swamp Thing, which only lasted one season. I've watched... Me and the wife watched the first... I think it was first half of the season or so, the first season, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. But like I said, I don't have a whole lot more to say about Doom, but I just wanted to mention that a little bit, talk about the characters. Like I said, I'm enjoying so far. Uh, for more on Doom Patrol, definitely check out Waiting for Doom podcast. And we're going to take a quick promo break, and I'll be right back with our next segment. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages. Dear Diary, Four Million Years Later is a highly advanced form of podcast. I don't really know if it's from the past or the future. But the hosts can think and have real feelings. I don't understand it, Joe. There's already been podcasts doing an episode-by-episode rewatch of the original Transformers cartoon series. Why would two dopes be doing another one? I... I don't like it. Something's wrong. Real wrong. 
Four Million Years Later is a podcast from me, Jersey Drozd. And his friend, Hoover. Who are two guys who've watched Transformers since 1984 and have never stopped thinking or talking about it. We've been friends for 25 years, and a large portion of our discussions have been about the details and minutiae of the original animated series. So since 25 years still hasn't satiated our need for talking about this stuff, we've decided to put our thoughts and discussions to metaphorical tape and launch a podcast. So find 4 Million Years Later at your favorite podcatcher, or just go to 4millionyearslater.com and listen there. <laughs> Perfect! Absolute perfection! Did you know that Michael Bailey hosts a podcast? Yeah, I host or co-host a number of podcasts, actually. Did you know that Michael Bailey releases his podcast through the dark web? Now, that's not true at all. I release my shows on the regular internet. I don't even know how to get to the dark web. Did you know that Michael's financing comes from shady donors who make up a cabal of people that like to kick puppies and kittens. What are you talking about? I'm pretty much self-financed outside of a modest Patreon that I produce no extra content. Did you know that Michael Bailey supports free podcasts for everyone and also works on his shows with potential foreign spies and anarchists? Of course I support free podcasts for everyone. And Andy isn't a spy of any kind. Bethany and Allison are hardly anarchists, and Jeff... Okay, you may have me there. Jeff is a little out there. Why would you support such a man by listening to his podcast? All right, that's enough of that. Can we, can we get rid of creepy voice guy? He, he's not working out. He really just isn't. You can't get rid of me that easily. I'm a scary voice that is meant to frighten people into... Okay, okay, that's, that's better. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I run the Fortress of Baileytude Podcasting Network. The Fortress is a collection of podcasts that I either host or co-host, all housed in a single place to make things easier on me. The shows in the network include From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which I host with Jeffrey Taylor, and is all about the Superman books published between 1986 and 2006. The Overlooked Dark Knight, a non-index index show, which is a Batman podcast that is about Batman stories hardly anyone talks about that I host with Andrew Leyland. Views from the Long Box, my comics-centric podcast that has been online since 2007. And the newest show on the network, The Superman and Lois Tapes, which I host with Allison and Bethany and is all about the CW series Superman and Lois. The network can be found at www.fortressofbailytude.com, which also houses one of the web's largest repositories of information on the death and return of Superman from 1992 and 1993. You can subscribe to any of these programs through Apple Podcasts slash iTunes or through your favorite podcatcher, either a la carte or through the Master feed, which has all of the episodes of all of the shows. The Fortress and its shows are also on Spotify, if you're into that sort of thing. The Fortress of Baileytude Podcasting Network, doing my best to relieve boredom since 2007. The music on this trailer, Delay Rock, and Political Action Ad are by Kevin McLeod and are used under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Did you know? Oh, shut up! The Justice League wouldn't help him, so Batman formed a new team. These people of power are all looking for something, be it their past, 
or a purpose, or simply somewhere to fit in. These are the heroes for a troubled age. They are the Outsiders. We are the Outsiders. Covering Mike W. Barr's 1983 series from the very beginning, as they face villains no other team can, like Agent Orange, the Force of July, and the Nuclear Family. <laughs> Puns. This is The Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Look for us with The Huntress Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Or listen at our website, thehuntresspodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at BatOutcasters. We are the Outcasters because to live outside the law, you must be honest. And now back to Head Speaks. And now we quickly move on to our next segment. Faster than a speeding bullet. the great hall of the Justice League. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is Watson Head Longbox. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. So this month from the Longbox, I'm going to pull out Power of the Atom number one. Shouldn't be a surprise. I've been talking about this for a while now. Before I did the Armageddon crossover, I did the Sword of the Atoms specials and miniseries. And that was leading up to this. Power of the Atom. This was not the first, but one of the first series that I picked up from number one when it first came out. When I started buying comics, I'd always liked the Atom in issues of Just League I've read or cartoons or whatever but the power of the atom was the first i picked this up and then after the fact i picked up the sword of the atom miniseries so i, I adam ray palmer is one of my favorite characters he's up there with firestorm my top two favorite superheroes so let's go ahead and get started with this issue again this was a 18 issue series which, in my opinion, ended way too soon. <laughs> but we'll get to those issues. Right now, we're going to start out with the first issue, which had a cover date of August of 1988, on sale April the 26th of 1988. The cover price was $1. The title of this issue was called Home is the Hero. Written by the marvelous Roger Stern, penciled by Dwight Turner, I'm sorry, that's Dwayne Turner, anchor was Keith Stan Wilson, letter Bill Oakley, Colorist, 
Nancy Houlihan. The penciler for the cover was Dwayne Turner and inked by Keith Stan Wilson. And the editor was Mike Carlin. So the synopsis, and again, this all comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics, a great website that helps out a lot of us podcasters. So the synopsis, once again, uh, Don Bryce, a CIA agent, reaches the city of New Moda to deliver a warning to the Atom. He then dies. The Atom recommends the Carlathons evacuate the city while he goes after a group of land developers who are planning to burn the jungle, surrounding the city with napalm in order to make room for farmland. Due to a language barrier, the Atom cannot communicate with the Portuguese developers. They see him as a demon and attack. In the ensuing fight, a stray gunshot strikes the stored napalm and creates a devastating explosion. The Atom is knocked out, and when he regains consciousness, everything in the surrounding area has been destroyed, including New Molida. After a search for the Carothians comes up empty, the Atom goes after the developers again. They trap him in a sealed room, but he is able to escape via the phone line. The Atom emerges from the phone of his friend, Norman Brawler. He then grows to a height of three feet and passes out. When he recovers, he is stuck at that size. Brawler calls for a doctor to help, which brings Ray to the attention of the CIA. Dun, dun, dun. And now, as usual, we will move on to the issue itself. So this starts out, we've got the cover, like we normally do. Uh, Power of the Atom logo at the top. We see Ray in his new costume, flying off of a bird, it looks like. Knocking out one gunman, while another one looks on behind with a big funky mustache. <laughs> on the cover, we got a blurb that says, He's back, and more powerful than ever, in his first monthly adventure. Again, got our logo at the bottom, or not logo, but the credits by Stern, Turner, Wilson. Uh, again, this is, a, in my opinion, a great cover. It helps that the Atom is one of my favorite characters. Like I've said before, him and Firestorm. Uh, this is a beautifully rendered cover. Um, the one guy in the background with, like I said, the, the big goofy mustache is kind of goofy looking a little bit. But otherwise, like I say it's great. Nice shots. Full frontal shot of the Atom. Wait a minute, that didn't come out right. Anyways, a full frontal shot of the Atom as he's swinging and punching this one guy out. Just a, a wonderful cover. I love this cover. It's very colorful. It's got the Atoms in his blue and red costume. His hair showing as it tends to be showing nowadays. After this, uh, actually I guess it started with the Sword of the Atom stuff. But, but he is back to a superhero costume. Well, his superhero costume for the most part. The main difference... Like I said, is his, the top of his head is now showing. Had to grab me pick this up off the newsstand. I'm like, oh, that looked, oh, that's awesome. So very nice. Anyways, moving on to the story itself. I don't normally mention ads in these, but I'm gonna mention this one here. Uh, it's for Tengen. It's got an ad for RBI Baseball and Gauntlet. Only reason I mention that is because I used to love the heck out of Gauntlet. Played that all the time. That was a great game. Anyways, uh, so the first page we start out with, it's a splash page, and we see, as I talked about in the synopsis, we got Norm Brawler holding phone out, and here comes Ray Palmer, a.k.a. the Atom, smashing through it, just shattering the receiver of the, the receiver, the handset, the, the yeah, the, the part where the, uh, you hear people, is exploding, and, uh, I like this. The, the uh, I'm gonna read this page. Is the title is the home is the hero, 
And it says, this afternoon, Norman Brawler is getting a call from an old friend. And for this particular friend, long distance is the same thing as being there. <laughs> I just love the, the, the joke about that. And it says, presenting a bold new beginning for the world's most amazing superhero, the Atom. And well, I agree. And then we got the rest of our credits, as I talked about earlier. Uh, but again, going on, we get the uh, Ray Palmer again. He's going from the Atom to his, his regular self. I say full size self, but as we find out, he's stuck at three foot tall. Uh, but as he's changing, he's changing out of his Adam costume and his normal clothes are showing up like normal. And like Ray, as he's passing out, he's like, hello, Norm. Sorry for dropping in like this as he passes out. And uh, Norm's trying to get him, you know, pull him to somewhere out of the way, get him on a bed. And he's like, oh, wow, he weighs, he weighs a ton. So we know that and again, at this point, we don't realize that he's not at his full height, but we do realize that he's got all that weight on him still. Or not still, but he has all the weight on him. And as he comes out, he's he's like a fever dream almost. He's like, no, no, wait, wait son. Voss, gotta be here. Gotta find you. And Norm, you know, gets, gets him to wake up. And Ray says that he can't fill his Adam costume. It's gone. And... It looks like the proportions on this are a little bit off when he's standing, when Norm is standing over Ray in the first panel where we see him here in the bed. And then when Ray starts to sit up, it looks like it's out of proportion. It looks like the artist doesn't know what he's doing. But then Ray, I'm sorry, Norm tells us that he's only three foot tall. So that explains why it looks like it's out of proportion because, well, Ray's about two and a half, three feet shorter than he normally is which would explain a lot. <laughs> and again, Ray's got a little bit of rage going on right now. He's like, what the hell's going on here, brawler? How should I know? You're the one exploded out of my phone. You tell me. <laughs> and so Ray's, let me see here real quick. I'm just looking. I thought he got him to a bed, but it looks like he just got a pillow for him and covered him up because he's still here on the floor. And he's on the floor, blanket wrapped around his legs. And Ray explains that it must have been a satellite transmission link that somehow being transmitted via satellites instead of just regular phone lines scrambled them on a molecular level and caused them to be stuck at three foot tall, extra weight, and the costume to be missing. So, and I like this is Ray's talk, and he's like, it must be a satellite transmission link. I suppose that could have caused scrambling effect on the molecular level. But what happened to the dispersed matter? And Norm, again, a layman, he's all, whoa, can you back that up and repeat that in English? <laughs> and so, again, he's like, so, you know, last time I saw you, you went off the six foot, I'm sorry, last time I saw you off the live six inch tall aliens. And Ray's kind of recaps what happened is that they rebuilt their city. He found the meteorites. Uh, not the meteorite, but the white white dwarf matter and he was able to shrink it down and he realized again it's all the stuff that we read or i talked about last month in the secret origins issue so if you read that or if you listen to me last month you would know this is kind of recapping all that and again he, he's thinking about as he thought last issue or the secret origins issue why well, i could re-large them enlarge them but you know i don't know should i because they're, they're basically hidden away here. No one knows where they're at. If I was to enlarge them, then they'd have to do with modern civilization. And that's a massive culture shock. 
And so he decided to hold it off. And this is kind of where the secret origin issue ended. And then we find out a week after that, uh, some guy came stumbling out of the jungle. And the, the uh, I forget what they're called again. The Catharians. Catharians? Catharians, something like that. Catharian. I'm going to call them the Catharians. That's how I'm pronouncing it. It's wrong, I'm wrong. Anyway, so some Catharians are running away going, oh, an outlander giant. Or the home guard. And the guy comes up babbling that he needs to find the atom. And the guards all have arrows pointed at him. And he's like, what's he saying? I can't understand his gibberish. I heard him say, Adam, hold your fire, man. He won't give us any trouble. Someone's done the job for us. As the guy just passes out on the ground, still mumbling, Adam. And so one of the guys, I think it's Vosk, comes running up to Adam. He's like, he keeps calling your name. And apparently the Adam knows him. The guy's name is Don Bryce. Uh, he worked in the CIA with him at some point or on some missions. And we find out that there's some drug runners that's trying to slash or burn the area. And so he's warning the Adam about this. Because, again, that's not going to do good for them. And Voss is telling them we're going to have to get a crew to remove the body. And Adam's like, there's not, no time for that, Voss. And he's telling them that we're going to have to evacuate the city. Uh, so Adam jumps on a, a bird and flies off to find out how urgent the situation is. And here we find out, that's what it was, Don Bryce was a CIA contact on a couple of missions he handled for the government back when he was a superhero. But, so again, the, and I'm just kind of going through the story right now, but yeah, this is great artwork in this. I'm loving, again, it's the four-color superhero artwork I love in these books. Uh, I love Ray's Cotton. At this point, he's got his... his uh, Sort of the Adam costume on. It's it's basically kind of his regular costume, but he's got the 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 uh, sword, the necklace with the, like chains or whatever it is, and the uh, loincloth, I guess, held up with a. Uh, a I mean, it's his regular belt. I'm not sure, but again, just beautiful artwork. And so Ray finds the the guys. It's it's got a, a camp set up. And he finds out, and he's trying to tell them that there's, you know, a civilization and head that need to move it, but uh, they can't speak to him. They're speaking Portuguese. And again, Ray apparently can't speak Portuguese. And so they think he's some kind of demon or monster. <laughs> One guy's, mother of God, what kind of demon is this? As, you know, a six-inch Ray, six-inch Adam is standing on his desk. And Ray's all, does anyone here speak English? Parlez vous français? <laughs> and someone grabs him. Adam just takes the sword and just cuts into the guy's hands. Like, ah, let go. The little, cut me. <laughs> and again, this is great artwork. I love the writing in this. And again, so we're getting Ray kind of still narrating what's happening. That, you know, things are getting out of hand. No one could understand them. Uh, so he's using his abilities like he can to knock them down and... And he's trying to take these guys out. But again, normally when he fights guys like this, it's, it's full size and he's only six inches. He can control his weight, his density, his his size. And here he, he's stuck at this height. He, he can't, you know, normally he, he would jump at someone real small and put the weight of a 180-pound man behind the punch as they punch him, knocks him out. But it's a lot harder for Ray. But I, I love the way they show him jumping on the table. They show the little... Jump lines, like, you know, we can see he's jumping. One guy shoots at him and, and shoots his sword. 
And again, for being six inches high, being able to hit that little sore, that guy did a pretty good job at that. <laughs> and as we were there, Ray runs out of the edge of the tent, and they're still looking for They think he's all these papers, are like digging through all these scrolls and maps or whatever. A pile of blueprints, that's what it is. Rolled up blueprints. They're throwing them out, and the devil take your precious plants. He won't get away from me again. <laughs> I just love the dialogue in here. And so like he says here, he planned to draw them out one at a time. Uh, he found the uh, projectile launcher that they were going to launch in Centery Bonds of the Jungle. And this is what would have taken out Numerlanda. But one of the, the, the guys that's chasing him shoots at him. And like an idiot, shoots the tube. And see, I don't know. Because one of his buddies tries stopping before he shoots. Because they're fully loaded. And Ray jumps off the the launcher at the last second as the second guy grabs the gun the a gun arm of the first guy, makes the shot go wild, and it hits the the uh launchers, the projectile launchers, causing it to explode. Uh, and Ray says he smelled gas and benzine as the shockwave hits him, it blocks him out. And then here on the bottom of page twelve, it just Ray saying it must have been hell. It must have been hell on earth. And we just show it's almost like a nuclear explosion, just the mushroom cloud and fire and stuff shooting off of it. There's fire all around, just a big explosion. And again, Ray wakes up, finds a sword, well, part of his sword that was blasted. And here he finally finds a way back to New Morlada, and the city's just in ruins. He finds his dead bodies, uh, finds the debris. He doesn't find anybody he can recognize because they're all destroyed, which brings up something I've always wondered, which they never did anything with. But, I mean, they could have if, and I don't I guess this is spoilers for the next 18 issues and however much long for the Atom, but they could have, if they wanted to, brought Voss and Princess Lotha back if they wanted to, I think. Because, again, they did, he didn't find a body. He found a bunch of dead bodies, but they were so burnt up, you couldn't tell who they were. They were like skulls and stuff. So, And I always wonder while this series is going on, why are they going to bring them back? Or, you know, when the series ended, which we'll get to, what, a year and a half from now? I was wondering if maybe they're going to, they always bring the princess back if they wanted to, but they never did. Which is kind of sad. But uh, the only thing he found left was a piece of the, the white dwarf matter which he's able to shrink down and pin in his glove to carry with him. And again, I, I do like the fact that he's able to mentally control the, the white dwarf star, which we'll see a bit more here later on coming up. <laughs> so he's rowing on a little piece of stick or a log or whatever it is, trying to find civilization. And he's like, much of the time I was delirious. And we see this one screen, I'm going, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. <laughs> he said he'd nod off, have terrible dreams. So he doesn't know how long he was out, how long it took. Because again, he's traveling down the river and he's six inches high. So things are, time's kind of, and he's in grief and mourning. So time's kind of a, a passing thing for him at this point. But then when he gets to civilization, he finds, you know, paved streets and power lines. He goes to an official building. And he finds one of the guys from 
the the campsite there, wait, you know, talking to, I guess, his boss. He's like, how many times must I tell you? I was neither drunk nor crazy. This demon, no bigger than my hand, attacked my project in. And Ray rushes. He's like, you, mother God, it's him. You destroyed my city. You killed my people. You killed them all. As Ray jumps at him, ready to knock him out. But again, Ray's only six inches high. He can't control his weight or density anything. So the guy's able to knock him across the room. And again, like he says, he wasn't thinking straight because he's enraged and just upset that, you know, he's lost all of his, his friends and his girlfriend, Princess, I don't know if he got married or not, but his little princess, as he calls her. And so one of the guys picks the Adam up and starts, he's like, I got him, Captain. And the guy's like, Carol, he's a demon. So he's bringing him over to the captain to see what's going on. And... Ray said, you know, he was hurt and groggy and mad and wished he still had control of his weight like he used to. And all of a sudden, he got his weight back like normal. And so the guy, <laughs> the guy that's carrying him falls to the towards the ground, hitting his face on the desk, knocking him out. <laughs> and at that point, Ray jumped up and he was able to, not really, he wasn't thinking, he was just instinct. He was able to grow and shrink again. Like he says here, he could have shrunk out of sight and got away. But I was tired of being so small. It felt good to grow again. As he grows taller, he's not his full height yet. He's probably, looks like maybe a foot or two tall at this point. Because he's right into it. He's knocking him to their knees, knocking him over, runs out the door. And uh, again, he all of a sudden he realizes he's fighting the police. And he's like, oh, all is stupid. If any of these people understood English, they'll never listen to me now. And he gets blocked into a room with no doors, no windows, no way out. And he says here, no doors, no windows. Have I blocked myself in? Not if the phone's working. So he picked up the phone and directed out the first number that came to his head. And as he jumped into the phone, he was shot at. But again, they missed him. And again, it says he's something he's always done, but he hasn't done it in years. And he explains what happens. He shrinks to subatomic size. He rises a stream of electrons that carries the phone call. And again, I, we haven't really talked much about this because he hasn't done this in the stories I've covered so far. But I, I don't know if that would actually be possible. I mean, yes, someone shrinking down to microscopic 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 size is impossible, anyways. But if you could, I, I don't know if that would work right in the phone length like he does. But hey. It's superhero comics. I'm not looking for a lot of scientific explanation to it. As long as they have some sort of comic book pseudo explanation, that works for me. And so he says, this time something was wrong. He was tossed rock. He was in a hurricane. And then he comes busting out of uh, Brawler's phone like this. Next sentence, I exploded out of your phone, literally. And then we see kind of a reprint of the first page, but a bit different. As we see, again, Norm holding the phone away from his face as Ray comes exploding out of it. Literally. And as we figures it must have been routed through some communication satellites. And now he can't change size. Which, I'm trying to think of but recent stories of he's shrunk down and traveled through the phone lines. Because now if everyone having cell phones and hardly any landlines. I don't remember offhand if he's... If he's Traveled by phone line recently in current modern stories. So I'll have to look for and keep an eye on because 
again, if so, that would be very problematic for him if he can't travel that way. And again, Norm says, well, you're wearing your costume when you came with the phone. Where did it go? And he said he originally designed the costume to be visible and practically intangible when he was full size. So he could wear his street clothes over it. And then when he shrinks down, the costume would take form. And he's always, even then, he could fill parts of it. Now he can't fill anything. And he wonders, because again, kind of the, the logical or the, the scientific explanation. Because again, Ray's shrinking down. As he says here, that extra mass when he shrinks goes somewhere, but he doesn't know where it's going. So in a kind of, you know, if you question, oh, how is he able to shrink? Well, this kind of answers that a little bit. The, the extra mass is going somewhere, some pocket dimension or something. He just doesn't know where it's at. And I, as he's sitting there talking, he's like, uh, Norm, I know I dialed your phone number, but this looks like uh, my house. And Ray tells him, well, it is. You're divorced, so uh, you sign the house over to Gene as part of the settlement. Jean left town, and, well, she gave him a good deal on the place. Ray's like, or Norm's like, Ray, I'm sorry if I ever thought you were coming back. It's all right, Norm. Don't, don't blame you or Jean. I can feel her for not wanting to stay here. Too many memories. And so Norm says he's going to call a doctor that's discreet. They can take a look at him. And uh, so, yeah, so he goes in the other room, calls Dr. Jeffries. And as we cut outside... We see a phone repairman on the line, and we find out that his phone line is being tapped by a special communication center in Langley, Virginia. And we see someone behind the desk of the Central Intelligence, which you know is the agency. And so, again, they're, they're maintaining surveillance on him. So, I'm going to mention something here if you haven't read this series, if you're reading along, or if you don't remember. I forget when this is brought up, but for some reason, Ray's been gone. He supposedly left the modern world living out with his little people, but they're still monitoring his house or Norm's house. Question, and again, I didn't think about this at the time, but now that I've read the entire series and I've read what's after it, it makes me wonder. Well, so we'll find out later on. As I tell my wife on my over on the our Quantum Leap uh, show, let's put a pin in that for right now. What? And <laughs> looking at me like, what? Uh, also, another ad in here for the New Guardians, which was an okay book, and Animal Man. Love that series, especially the first couple of years of it. But again, not here to talk about Animal Man right now. That'll be come later on, possibly on the show. And <laughs> so Ray's kind of looking through his chest. And again, I like this. He's kind of recapping and, and reminiscing about the past several years for him, the the sort of that in miniseries and specials, he finds, you know, pictures of him and Gene talking, you know, and he's talking about how the Adams came between them. Uh, he found a picture of him in the Justice League. Well, okay, it's a picture of the Justice League, Batman, Superman, Flash, Hawkman, and Aquaman. And then he finds the, the book that uh, Ray Brower wrote, The Adams Farewell, The Last Days of the Littlest Big Man. That's the book from Gene and his reminiscence. I guess it was published after he went back to the jungle. In fact, if I'm not if, I, if, if I'm not forgetting that showed up in one of the specials, if I'm not mistaken, one of the, the story of Adam specials. And again, he talked about how he was released about a secret a secret. Uh, try that again. The secret of his double life is the Adam. How he came stuck. You know, basically recapping the story of that a miniseries. 
and he gets upset and he swings at the bookshelf without thanking and just, well, it looks like the bookshelf, but actually I guess it's the fireplace. Hits the fireplace and knocks a big hole in it. And Ray, Norm comes in about that time. That was a solid brick fireplace. I didn't know you had the power to do that. And he was like, neither did I. Because again, he's never been, in quote, super strong. He would be real small and he could gain his, his regular weight. So you'd have the, the strength of a 160, 180 pound man, but he never had like a super strength. And here he just broke this chimney like it was nothing. So something's going on at three at this point. And then we are initial next issue blurb where Ray Palmer regained control of his size. What is the secret of Adam's power? Find out next issue in starting over. Again, the great first issue, I think. Uh, the artwork in this overall was great. A few pages or a few panels here and there. Maybe not the greatest, but I, I really love this first issue. Again, this was the first of the Atom I bought. As I said, I picked up the Sword of the Atom later on as back issues. So, again, I just can't wait to cover this entire series again. And we're going to wrap up with looking at the, again, we have the uh, ads. There's one here, full page ad for Animal Man. It says, it's a jungle out there. Animal Man, a new monthly series uh, with cover by Brian Boland, written by Grant Morrison, Chaz Tolg, and Doug Hazelwood. Again, great picture. And again, I, I love this Animal Man series. And then we get some for the annuals for 1988. There's Superman Annual 12. Batman Annual 12 and Star Trek Annual number two or number three and Secret Origins Annual number two. I've read the only one I didn't read out of these was the Star Trek one because I wasn't picking up the Star Trek books. Uh, the Secret Ad Secret Origins Annual was the Flash of Two Worlds. It looked at the origin of the Flashes. Again, that was covered over on Ryan Daly's Secret Origins podcast. Definitely check that out. But that is it for the first issue of. The Power of the Atom. What did you guys think? Did you read this when it first came out? Have you guys read this? Uh, send me your thoughts. Let me know what you think. You can send those to head at headcastnetwork.com. Again, that's H-E-A-D at headcastnetwork.com. Okay, and now let's move over to the mailbag. Mail time. Mail time. You've got mail. So this is talking ahead. Uh, we're going to go and take a look at the different people that's either commented, wrote in, or whatever. There wasn't much, but I do have. Uh, first off, I'm going to mention over on my Patreon page. Again, I haven't done much with that. I need to work on more on that. But I do have one Patreon at this point. Uh, again, he started in December, but I, I somehow didn't get a notice about that, and so I missed him for a couple months. So I want to give special thanks to Cosplay Dad. Uh, again, he mentioned, I think it was the Starbright Project show, but I'm going awesome. <laughs> to... My wife's sitting here in the background, she's like, that's because we're awesome. Because me and the wife does that one with a friend of ours from Down Under. But I want to thank Cosplay Dad for supporting us and for joining on the Patreon uh, if you're interested in joining up too, you can check us out at patreon.com slash headcast network. Again, patreon.com slash headcast network. 
Uh, if you like what I'm doing here, go ahead and throw a few bucks in the tin. Uh, moving over to Instagram. Again, I'm now on Instagram. You can find it by looking for Headcast Network over on Instagram. We have Rob's Rogues, Sink into the Weird, Green Lantern HG, Dark Long Box, Donnie Precious 64, Steve J. Rogers, James Terry Mitchell, and 90s X-Men, Firestorm Fan, that's our buddy, uh, the Irredeemable Shag, Delvin Ray, Delvin is from the Long Box Crusade, hey Delvin, Tim Price 17, that's our buddy that's been on, well he's been on a couple of different of my shows, Tim Price, he's a good guy, uh, Filtro Geek, Power Comics Inc., The Fanholes Podcast, that's Kevin and Lee and a couple other guys over there. JC164X, Hayden McQueenie, that's my friend from Down Under I was talking about earlier. And Rad Adventures Network, that's Ruth and Darren, uh, one of the greatest podcasting couple out there. And over on Facebook, uh, there's just a few over there. It's uh, Clinton Robinson, Gene Hendricks, Bill Bear, and Hal Jordan. And Hal left a comment over there. He said, what a great episode, Aaron. I love the Adam. And those are some of the stories that hooked me. On another note, I recently got diagnosed with moderate to severe depression. It's hard, especially when you live alone. It gets me sometimes. So hearing you share your story hit my heart. I want to thank you for that and let you know I'm here for you. Thanks, Hal. You're a great guy. Uh, moving on from that, that's it for the letters and everything. If you want to appear in this section... Either join us over on Facebook, Twitter, which I don't do as much as I should on, Instagram, or our Patreon. Uh, like I say, you can look for Headcast Network. On Facebook, we've got the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Headcast Network. Or you can send me an email to head at headcastnetwork.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send that to me and I'll play that on the air. Uh, whatever you want to do. Let me know what you think. If you're enjoying the show, or even if you don't, go ahead and send me some feedback. I love hearing from people. You could leave a review on uh, the Apple, what is it, the Apple Podcast, I think it's called nowadays. Uh, if you do, send me a message, especially if you're from out of the country, because I have to switch my country and, and uh, iTunes to see you to read those, because iTunes is a little wonky like that. But that's going to do it for this month. Join us next month when we look at Power of the Atom. Issue number two, plus uh, whatever else I throw in there. Thanks, guys. And remember, head has spoken. Thank you for listening to another fantastic episode of Head Speaks. Hope you enjoyed it. If so, let me know. Drop me an email to head at headspeaks.com or visit our home at head.headspeaks.com. You can also visit and talk with me on Facebook and Google Plus, both under Head Speaks. You can also send an MP3 file with your thoughts and I can play that on the air. And you can also get more of me on my other podcasts. Be sure to listen to Task Force X, where monthly I look at John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kuppenberg's Checkmate comics from the 80s and early 90s. Also, over on G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, 
My podcasting friends, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, along with myself, are looking at all of the G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero comics, and related titles from Marvel and IDW. All of my headcasts are available on iTunes and Stitcher, along with the respective blogs and my main page at headspeaks.com. All comments, thoughts, and opinions expressed on HeadSpeaks are owned wholly by the speaker of said comments, and do not express the opinions of HeadSpeaks, unless, of course, I'm the one making the comments. HeadSpeaks, Task Force X, and G.I. Joe, Real American Headcast, are all part of the Headcast family. So, join us next month for another wonderful episode of HeadSpeaks. Until then, I'll see you in the funny pages. Good night.